Hello, everyone. This is Keith Cup, founder of Gravitas Impact Premium Coaches, a worldwide community of experienced, skilled, and purpose-driven advisors who help CEOs get results and live their purpose through their business and leadership. Today, we're going to be talking to the founder of the A-Team, Dominic Bensavinga. Dominic, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Keith. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Dominic, uh, very quickly, tell us a little bit of background on the A-Team and what you do. So the A-Team is a, a New York City-based accounting outsourced accounting services firm. And in a nutshell, we provide part-time bookkeepers, controllers, or CFOs to small and mid-sized businesses throughout the country. So we, we are now really working just about anywhere because of uh, the ability to do things virtually. And as we prepared for today, I encourage you to think of a big idea or a challenging question for our audience of listeners. Um, what's the big idea you'd like to talk about today, Dominic? I think any um, mid-market CEO should be thinking about investing heavily in their accounting and finance department's technology so they could radically change the financial reporting forecasting analysis. I think that is going to be the place that's going to make a huge competitive difference in the years to come. So around the financial reporting forecasting analysis, take that to a new level with the technology that they're investing in as they move into the future. Do I have yeah, that right? That, yep. And very often that might also need you have to change the team to do it. But uh, I think as a whole, my experience has shown that people underinvest in their accounting and finance department, both talent, technology, and uh, therefore don't get the results they really need. Okay. We're going to come back in a few minutes to develop that. Uh, but first, tell us a little bit about your career as a thought leader in the space and the owner and leader of A-Team. Kind of tell us about your journey that gives you the platform to speak intelligently and wisely on this. Sure. And just one correction. I, uh, my partner, Ted, was the founder of the company, and I'll come back to how we came together. But uh, I've been in the part-time fractional CFO market and doing out outsourced accounting consulting for 25 years. Uh, in June of 1996, I left Citibank. I had a 12-year career in corporate America, learned mm -hmm. some of the big Fortune 1000 practices and policies, and decided I needed to really work with the small, much smaller businesses. Uh, and I have been doing and worked with probably 100 plus different companies in either managing their finance department, acting as their CFO, consulting to them. And that has ranged from everything from, you know, the accounting systems and technologies they use, the hiring and terminating of employees, uh, their forecasting, their modeling, uh, working side by side with the coaches on BHAGs and 3HAGs and, you know, all, all of the stuff that are part of the Gravitas world, uh, I have been part of with uh, multiple clients through the years. So essentially, Dominic, you sit at the executive table um, with the founder, president, CEO, managing director as the fractional CFO, as they build their strategy and the plans to execute it. Do I have that right? Yes. Uh, ideally, uh, we are invited into all management team meetings. So with your director of sales, your director of marketing, production, design, whatever else you have, I'm in that executive team meeting. And very often there's the management team meeting of seven to 10 
And very often a COO, president, and COO sometimes, there's usually a little triad that comes out that's a little level higher because we're doing the very high strategic planning. But one other thing to point out, Keith, is although we're operating at that level and we love being there, we think it's a really important place to be, we're also managing every aspect of the day-to-day. So I might not be pushing the payroll out and making sure the checks go out, but you know, I'm responsible for that. I have a team of people in, in my client's organization. Sometimes they're my staff, sometimes it's my client's staff that managing the day-to-day as long as well as being at this the highest level of the strategy. So Dominic, uh, talk briefly too. What are some of the industries you've touched in your career? Wow. Um, I have done quite a bit with uh, apparel, seen, uh, especially in the New York City market area, we saw a lot of startup apparel brands and we've helped them through. Uh, We have worked with, uh, I have a membership society that sells to college, the college market. I have worked with uh, produce producers. They're a wholesaler, medical practices. Um, I have an auto outfitter as a client. I have a very large daycare slash, you know, child enrichment center business that has 18 different locations, uh, retail liquor stores, other kind of retailers. We've been with manufacturers. Uh, that's just my experience. The firm has also done a lot of work with law firms, other professional service firms like architects, designers. Um, one of the things that we tend to notice a little bit, it's not universal, but, um, Businesses that are in professional services or any kind of services business tend to fall well into the fractional business. Businesses that have a very, very heavy emphasis on cost of goods sold and inventory and the like, maybe the manufacturers tend to need full-time people in their staff. And that's not universally true, but it's just been a little bit of my experience. Okay, good, good. And so uh, working with over a hundred companies, so you have a multiplicity of uh, client experience, industry experience you just laid out, as well as your career has been in this finance, accounting, strategic domain. Now let's come back to the big idea. Companies are underinvesting in their technology in order to get their reporting, forecasting, and analysis where it could be to be a competitive edge. Talk a little bit about that. Tell us the story or or what are some of the trends and patterns there? Um, so there's one or two trends or patterns I see that sort of leads to this problem. The, the first is um, the CEO, because they've got so many other things driving them in their, in their goals and their KPIs and their metrics, think about growth and they don't really pay a lot of attention to finance unless it's broke. Um, so if it's broke, it's very obvious things aren't getting done. My bills aren't going, getting out paid. My invoices aren't going out. It's affecting us. Then they pay attention. But if it's sort of just, it's getting there. I've heard, I've just seen a lot of clients that just sort of accept whatever their accounting system th- can put out. And very often it's gone from either a, a QuickBooks model that is just sort of evolved and QuickBooks certainly could do all the debits and credits but it's not giving what you need on the analytics side. And this is where I think the difference maker is, getting the data that helps you do it on the analytics side. The other scenario I've seen, Keith, is uh, you've got an ERP system because you've got a very specialized industry. 
and you purchased an ERP system that's very, very specific to your industry, which is great. But then it doesn't give you all these extra things that I'm talking about. And what I'm talking about is very much, I think, a language of anybody in the Gravitas impact world, because it's the kind of things that drive your KPIs. It's the kind of things that drive your metrics that your coach is working with you to measure against. And sometimes I think coaches would, would attest to this. It's very hard for these organizations to get this data, even though everybody knows what the data is that they want, but they're not even sure what the right number is. So what I'm saying is if you put in a right system and the, the accounting system making a big upgrade there, you'll be able to get out of it everything you need to get an ultimate scorecard that can say on a flash on your screen, here's where my company stands each month and each quarter. Dominic, can you give an example of that? Make it real with a client or an industry. You don't need to share the client name uh, where that's made a difference. They've made the investment and it's made a difference. So I have a client, he's in the retirement plan space. And one of the things guys said from the very beginning when he hired me, and, and prior to hiring me, there was nobody else there. It was just a bookkeeper, no senior financial person. And he said, listen, I get really lost in all these details. I'm smart enough to understand it, but I'm spending much too time trying to figure this out. All I want to do is see a snapshot. Give me something that can help me understand where my business is at. So I could say, okay, I've got to address it or it's green light all the way, I'm good. And what we came in and did is connected to his QuickBooks. We put in a, a software called QVinci, which allows you to take your KPIs and the, the data comes out of QuickBooks. And then on one dashboard in front of a screen every month, when I tell him the books are closed, he gets to see exactly where he stands. And it's it's been invaluable for him just to not have to even be worrying about looking at a typical P&L because he doesn't want to. He just simply wants to have me worry about that. But he wants to know on, you know, or, or is our revenue up? What is our number of plans we brought in? So it's combining the financial data in terms of accounting related data, but it's also providing data out of the business. How many new plans have they brought in? How many have they terminated? How many plans are they working on? Plus at you know, for an administrator in their world, the administrator does the work. So he's seeing all of that in a nutshell and is very much able to say, wow, I know exactly what my business is. And there's one or two red lines here or red dots that I have to focus in on this week, this quarter, this month, whatever it might be. And so just to summarize what I'm hearing, you pull the data out of the accounting system, uh, QuickBooks or whatever, you then also pull business data that is unique to the business. And then you're able to create an analytics dashboard that helps them look out into the future as well as in the rear view mirror. So the leader of the company knows where they are as well as the tra trajectory of where they're going? Yes, yes, as well as the trajectory. Um, and in this case, Keith, um, it was, a, I, I would call it a simple approach, right? Because QuickBooks works for him as an accounting system. He needed to solve this problem. So we use this software called QVinci. In other cases, there are systems that allow businesses to move their entire accounting platform from QuickBooks or an ERP to somewhere else where all of this is done within that one system. It all just depends upon where you are in terms of the complexity of your business and and whether you have the appetite to make the accounting system change. Mm -hmm.
Okay. And uh, part of what you do then is you go in and you do the analysis and then you're able to make the recommendations and then uh, execute on the implementation. Is that correct? Yeah. So based upon my experience or my partners or any one of us who are acting at the CFO level, uh, we've seen enough of the systems that work and don't work, businesses that are getting the data they want, the ones that don't get what they want, the workarounds that often happen. I think it's a very big thing in, in a lot of finance worlds. There's workarounds being done. And we could see the design of where we want to go, almost like an architect building something. And then we'll work with somebody in our technology division who works in our company. Uh, and that person in particular has a lot of experience with accounting systems. And he will then design and he'll come back to us and say, this is the best of class that's out there. And these are the options you could bring to the client. And we'll propose that. And if everybody's on board to make the investment to move forward, then we have gone through implementations that actually have made this improvement. What What is the pain you're solving for the CEO listening in right now, Dominic? We've got leaders of companies, presidents, and so on that are listening to the podcast. What is the pain that you would be touching on to help solve? It, it's that frustration of, I know I need to know this, but I can't really get a good reliable number on that. Either A, in a timely basis, or B, I can't even get it at all. So therefore, the CEO sits there and says, you know, I think that metric is about a 10. And if it's a 10, we're good. If it's a 12, we're not so good. If it's an eight, we're great. And they're guessing at it. Or they're getting it out of their team and everybody knows it's such a bastardized workaround, it's only a good estimate. So it's the frustration of unknowing because I think one of the things I'm trying to say is what you'll be able to get out of upgrading your finance and accounting systems is the ability to have better predictability in your business, better data to help you better predict. And even if your prediction is telling you you're not going to be going where you want to be, at least you know that early on as an early warning indicator that you now can make adjustments with your management team about how am I going to change that? What what do we got to do to make sure we don't make it? Because we could see we're missing the mark. And what, what does it look like timing-wise uh, when you begin to listen to a, a leadership team and you and your team begin to see, oh, okay, I see what you need. And then you um, go away and talk about it internally. You figure out how to get a company there. What does that timing look like um, from when you're engaged until the leadership team is getting what they need in order to really get out in front of the business? It, it could vary based upon the size of the company and the complexity of their processes. But I would say it usually it's three to six months. Um, I can hear that usually in just meeting and talking to a CEO, even if I just have a prospective client, I could usually hear that frustration right from the get-go and know that they've that it's just on their mind. It's just burning inside of them. I keep wanting to get this data and I can't get it. I can't get it. But then it takes us about a month to do an assessment to come back and say, we reviewed all your processes, your systems. We heard what the CEO or the management team is saying they need. Here's the gap and here's how to solve that. And then the big challenge is the implementation of the actual software changes. That That is, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna sugarcoat it. It is not an easy process. It's one that has to be done very well. And sometimes you have to do, do concurrently with your existing system to make sure you've got the new systems trial balance matching the old systems before you could roll it out. But in the end, 
like anything else, you put that pain in, I expect you'll get some very good gain out of it. Dominic, let's turn the conversation to the talent side of things. Right now, what we're seeing worldwide is there is a real competition for talent in companies, top talent. Um, speak a little bit about for the mid-market CEO president, um, what does a high-performing finance and accounting team look like to the CEO? What, what does it look like and feel like to have that on board? So I think the first thing is, is that you absolutely have a leader um, who you've hired as a CFO. So that is not somebody who can simply, and I could talk about all the things it takes to run the finance department. I'm also talking about many, many, many times in my role as a CFO, I am in the right-hand seat. I am at the right hand of the CEO. So he or she is relying on me and having conversations with me that they might not have with the management team, things they're thinking about, things they want to talk about. So uh, that is, I think, a little enhanced in my role as being a non-employee and being a consultant. That helps a little bit more than if I were in a full-time role. But I think a CFO has to be someone who's going to be uh, able to work with you on that strategy and, and and push the envelope. And then when things are coming around the thought processes about we can go this direction, that direction, what are we going to consider? What, what happens if this happens in our business? They could translate that downstream and quickly delegate that out to members of their team, which should include a controller. And then anything under the control is all accounting staff. You can call them staff accountants if you'd like. But generally, you have an AR clerk, an AP clerk. Uh, you, if you're big enough, you might have someone who handles just payroll. Um, but all those people should report into a controller. A note on the controller role, that person is the one who really is the nuts and bolts of getting everything done in accounting. And if that person can do that very well, in my mind, it allows the CFO to go do what he or she can do the best because if the CFO has to go downstream and be worrying about the books being closed or the bills being paid or the money coming in, in terms of the actual details of all of that, then they're being sucked into something that's going to hurt from their ability to be a financial leader. So I, I do think you need a good combination of a strategic CFO who is a partner with you and a nuts and bolts controller who just loves that stuff. You know, they really just want to roll up their sleeves and, and do all the debits and credits and reconciliations and the like. Dominic, would it be accurate to say for the mid-market, depending on the size complexity of the business, the controller um, almost always needs to be an employee and the CFO can be a full-time if large enough, but a fractional CFO um, uh, on the outside as you do. Is that is that an accurate way to look at it? Yeah, I think that's a, a pretty fair way to do it. Uh, there are very few mid-market companies where we are running. There, there are companies where we run the entire accounting department. Everything's outsourced to us, but they don't tend to be mid-market. They tend to be smaller companies. Uh, but I would generally say that on the fractional consulting side where you bring in outsourced CFOs, you can do that on the CFO side, but you would not likely be able to get away with it on the controller side, only because the controller role is generally a 40 plus hour a week role. That's just, you know, they're, they're the kinds of people who do put in the 50, 60 hours a week. And many, many CFOs do the same, but if you're not big enough for that, that's where a role like somebody in our firm can help you. 
Dominic, uh, let's go ahead and bring our time to a close. And this has been sufficiently interestingly enough that we're going to uh, um, bring this to a close. Then I want to come back in our next segment and talk about the role of the CFO, a fractional CFO, and also what you're seeing happening as we come out of COVID. Vaccinations are uh, are taking, uh, we're in springtime in the Northern Hemisphere. Uh, generally, things are opening up. We'll come back and tackle that on the next segment. Does that make sense? That sounds good. We'll talk to you then. Okay, great. Uh, so today, uh, listening audience, Dominic Bensavinga, um, a team leader out of the New York City area, but does business essentially uh, all over North America. And they provide fractional CFO uh, leadership as well as teams to be embedded within companies to make sure that the systems and the execution of processes are well done. Dominic, thanks for being here for part one. My pleasure. Hello, everyone. Keith Cup, founder of Gravitas Impact Premium Coaches, and we're here for part two with Dominic Bensavinga, the principal and leader at the A-Team, which is an accounting, finance, and fractional CFO organization out of New York City. Dominic, welcome back. Happy to be here with you. Dominic, in part one, we talked about uh, the big idea that companies can hugely benefit with their um, predictive analytics reporting and forecasting by upgrading their technology. And as we finished part one, we talked about, touched on the role of the CFO. And then also I want to talk about COVID a little bit and companies, but looking at the CFO role, when a CFO has a, when a company has a staff, a good uh, on uh, boarded controller and team underneath them, talented team, where should the CFO be spending their time and helping the CEO? What does that look like, whether they're a full-time CFO or a fractional CFO like yourself? So if a company does not have a CFO now, one of the telltale signs I say to a CEO is, what is it that's going on in your finance department and how much time is it taking from you so that you, you feel you're being distracted from some other opportunities? Uh, maybe you're very, very good in sales and that's what you need to do. But you find that, you know, 10 hours a week, I got to be minding my controller and doing on staying on top of this. So that's the first telltale sign I say that you might need a CFO. But I think a, a CFO at its core needs to be strategic. It, it's just the difference between the CFO and the controller. The controller is the nuts and bolts that gets the day to day, month in, month out done, gets your monthly closes done. The CFO has to be connected to both the CEO's vision and the management team's vision, and then help translate that both with the cash flow forecasting, the bank lines of credit, liquidity, dealing with insurance requirements, and very often, if you're in this mode, dealing with M&A opportunities. You know, that's your growth mode, and that's how you're going to grow instead of organically. The CFO is going to be doing a lot of that M&A process, either with a partner investment bank or on their own. How about capital raise? Talk a little bit about that. If a company has the vision and the ability and the team, but they lack the fuel, what's the CFO's role there? So I mentioned the cash flow projection. So to me, the first step is if we're if we're outgrow if we're we're going forth with a new strategic direction, or we're looking at where we're going. If I'm not looking at 
three, six, nine, 12 months as a business, as the business manager, as the CEO and the, and the management team aren't looking out that far in what the impact is on their cash, then they're going to have a couple of surprises. Even, even in a very good scenario, you could be growing so fast, you could have cash flow challenges because it just takes that long, much longer for you in the difference between getting your supplies and paying for them and getting paid from your customers. So I think when you out, when you take the outgrowth of knowing where you're going to look at for the next 12 months, and that's monthly, and then we generally go down to 13 weeks in a row, so one quarter on a weekly basis, you get to see where you're going to have your cash flow challenges. And if your planning tells you you're going to have a cash flow challenge in week three or month eight, you've got to think ahead about what am I going to do to get capital? And then you have to look at the sources. So, you, you know, your first source is what, what does a CEO, or business, assuming that the business owner also, have a willing to put into the business? Then you've got, are we looking at family and friends rounds? Are we looking at banks and lines of credit? Are we looking at non-bank financing sources? any of the fintech sources. And, and then the last thing, which was always the most complex, is I'm going to consider the sale of some equity in the company to a private equity firm of some sort or a strategic partner. Dominic, let's now transition a bit um, to COVID and tying the two together. What we're seeing as coaches is there are many companies out there that during COVID, they uh, they reaffirmed their business model. They made sure they had the right talent on board, but they're weak on fuel to grow the business. They are doing okay, but now they have the team and the business model, and now they're ready to hit the accelerator. Now, coming out of COVID, um, where is the money available in the market for companies that want to hit the gas pedal? They're not in trouble, but they've, they've thoughtfully positioned and prepared. Now they're ready to hit the gas. What are your thoughts on that? So, uh, you know, to me, it'd be, it'd be the, the two traditional sources. Either the, you, go, you go the banking route or, or the non-bank, you know, financing route, or you go the private equity route. Um, on the private equity route, I believe there's plenty of money sitting around. And, and in that world, you need to be and find the right connection. There's nothing more important there than getting the right kind of partner. So there's plenty of people who have money, but there's only a few who are the right partner for your business that's going to give you that capital, but also not tie you up, keep you very, very focused, maybe even add some value because of their own experiences and contacts in your industry. On the banking side, um, Assuming your, your balance sheet is strong, you're not overly indebted from, from being in COVID and you still have some good uh, cash flow that you could show in your records. Bank, so, you know, it should be more open than it is, but the word I just heard from some bankers recently uh, is we're very much focused in on trying to stick with our existing customers and help them get through this crisis. And banks as a whole are not looking for a lot of new clients. So I think the liquidity in that market is a little tighter than I think I would like it to be for my clients. And also, I think that is it would be for a favorable. So I, I would think if you really need the fuel right now, the private equity market is probably one of your better options. Or strategic partners. I think it's something that's often strategic partnerships are often, you know, overlooked. 
you have an example of a strategic partnership that you could share, Dominic? So a, a client of mine right now is the one I mentioned earlier on the first uh, interview we did, which was in the daycare center business, uh, is looking for something along the lines of a related business. I don't want to get into too much details, but they're a related business that is not exactly in the same market as them. Um, and they're trying to expand. They're actually a global business and they're trying to expand a little bit and come into their marketplace. So um, it's not like, um, you know, I know of ABC. It's not like McDonald's and Burger King are in the same city and, and McDonald's just sucks to take over Burger King and then create them all to be McDonald's. This is more like, right. hey, we know your space well. We don't know your market well. You know your market well. We want to grow more. We're going we're gonna to have a partnership with you. And, and generally that comes into play where you're not having an outright purchase at first. You might talk about, hey, we're gonna start this process with a little equity investment and maybe down the road, we'll make it a full, full-time purchase of you. And it, it, for the CEO, it might be their exit plan, but it also could be just a long-term strategic investment where it's a good thing for both parties. One of the dynamics we've seen worldwide uh, as coaches have worked with companies, Dominic, is the relationship between the company and the customer um, has tightened and gotten closer in order to make it through. Customers needed the products and services uh, that they were purchasing, so they wanted a healthy company. And then the company was very grateful that their customers came close and continued to order and purchase and so on. What do you think about uh, John Mullins is a thought leader and, and, and I'll say friend of Gravitas of the community. He wrote a book called The Customer Funded Business. Uh, what are your thoughts on the companies listening in where they have a really good relationship with a healthy customer base and leveraging that relationship for their growth to the benefit of the customer too? Any insights, thoughts, or stories there? I like the idea a lot, Keith. I uh, don't have any stories or experiences where I've been been through this, except one, it wasn't really an investment. It was more like uh, the relationship was so strong between my client and the customer. And they almost, for, because they were in the industry so long together, and it was symbiotic, right? I don't want to see you out of business. It works well for us. They actually lent them money. It wasn't, well, it wasn't an equity investment, but it's certainly possible that you can get uh, loans from those kinds of uh, from customers that are in very good shape. Um, and you might also get equity investments, but I, I like the idea a lot because there are people, A, who know your business well, and B, you both need each other. Um, and I certainly agree with the experience you mentioned earlier. I have seen that too happen where the customers that stood by Clients and customers and, and suppliers all staying by each other in their supply chain and all helping each other through these processes was just a natural. It had to happen, but it definitely has built bonds stronger. And I think as we come out of COVID, that those bonds will continue. And um, again, this is a smaller niche in the market as I listen to our coaches and talk to clients, but there are indeed customers. Um, this is the win-win you referred to earlier customers that want to grow into new markets that if their partner, their supplier can provide what they need, they can help them get there too. And that's the, 
you know, one of our core values, we see we win together, we don't play. What is that mutual partnership where one can be very strategic from a financing perspective, a fuel perspective as a loyal customer, and then the provider can then help that customer grow by simply expanding services or reach into new geographic markets. And I bring that up for the listening audience because as we come out of COVID, um, things have changed and there are new opportunities. And I wanna encourage everyone to look into their client base for those partnership and potentially those resources. It's not always capital where you can create the win-win. That's part of the beauty of business. Yep, I agree. And, and, and then there are many different ways to find the, the, you know, the capital or the fuel, as you call it, to, to get for your business. The, the, but the one thing I will say, uh, I, there are experiences I've been through where short of actually just selling the company at a, a real discount, um, I have had clients who've had no options, really, over, over indebted balance sheet, Nobody can help them in any way, shape, or form. And what I say to those clients is, okay, we've got to really roll up these sleeves now and go into turnaround mode and start to generate that cash flow ourselves, which generally means we've got to find significant efficiencies in our business. We've got to reduce the amount of time it's taking us to get paid and maybe increase by a day or two the amount of time that we're putting money out to, to pay our suppliers but generally looking at ways your internal business can give you more cash flow, because in those moments when you've got no options left, um, it really is the only thing you could turn to. You got to use your team and your, your know-how and really button up. And then adding on to that on the revenue side, that often is where I know our coaches shine. How do you reposition yourself in the market to the right core customer with the right differentiated value proposition to then have more revenue that is stronger at the margin level. And uh, while you are solving the let's be efficient and uh, create the cash from within, getting that strategy right to get the top line going again, that's kind of the the one-two punch without a doubt. Yeah, I brought, oh, I'm glad you brought up margin. I think, you know, that in, in not all businesses, but in many businesses, top line revenue growth should not always be the most important goal. Margin is the goal. Um, you, you, you need to know what you've got left after your product has been sold, right? You know, your traditional cost of goods sold, it could be your cost of services, but it's that margin that we really want to look at most importantly that we can grow that margin percentage or grow them total absolute margin dollars. That's going to give you more fuel to cover your overhead and then leave some money left in, at the end for what you want to do to expand your business. And Dominic, where are you seeing the patterns again, coming out of COVID because it's very relevant, but even zooming out further through time, where are the challenges, the inefficiencies typically in companies around margin, where are the quick hits to tighten that margin up? Uh, certainly, it's a, for, first of all, on, on the top line side on revenue, it's the efficiency of getting the dollar, getting the, the sale. So how are we doing that? Whether it be through our marketing or a sales team, um, finding ways to get that sale uh, quicker, sooner, and uh, you know, just a little bit easier. Even that 1%, you know, we, know, we know the 1% rule. We can make some 1% changes. We can make a difference in our business. Um, and on the cost side, 
I mean, I've got an example of a client for years has been doing uh, a tremendous amount of mailings, traditional direct mail kind of mailings. And we have a huge Wisconsin-based supplier who has done a tremendous job from a quality standpoint. And all we needed to do was tell our team, we're very concerned. We've watched what goes on in COVID. We're concerned. We need another supplier. Go out and figure out some other resources. And after we got some other pricing, and one of them didn't turn out so one, but one had very good pricing, we went back to our existing supplier and they say, by the way, we think we could do better for you. So sometimes some of your suppliers just need to have a little kick in the butt that they think their business is at risk. And you will find them coming to you to reduce your pricing, which is, I think, one of the best things you can do when you have a cost of goods sold number. How do I get my pricing per unit down? Um, and very often it just takes an ask or at least a, a hint at you're going to be leaving and you'll find that your supplier can make the cost go down a little bit. And Dominic, as we begin to close here, let's touch on that. Um, I know as a business owner, it's good practice to go to all of your suppliers periodically and either um, see what the efficiencies are and the pricing as well as going to market. What are some areas that you recommend companies on a periodic basis, they go to market to get comparative quotes because pricing is changing and it can make a big difference? I don't know if, and to me that falls under the role of the CFO with the controller. To me, that's our job. Um, if, if it falls under our job description. But there are a couple of cost containment companies out there that work on like the top five to 10 sort of costs, but they're usually working on overhead related costs. Like they'll look at your cell phone bills, they'll look at your telecom bills, your internet services, uh, your credit card processing fees to make sure those numbers are in line. And they work under that same exact theory. Like they'll go out and get a bunch of bids and they're going to go back and talk to you on your behalf, talk to your existing supplier and say, here's what we got. We're going to go with one of these companies unless you can lower our fees. Uh, but when you come to those really main core relationships we're talking about, Keith, like the ones that are delivering your product, making your product, I think those relationships need to be managed by someone inside the company. So typically that would be the CFO at the controller along with your director of operations or production. Okay, very helpful, very practical. So Dominic, um, let's tie this together. Uh, part one, part two, um, what would you want a CEO leadership of the company, president, managing director, what action might you want them to take to move towards either better talent, better technology, or more efficient processes? Talk about that a little bit. Uh, if... If I were listening to this today, I would say the one action I want to come out of it would be go talk to your head of finance, no matter what level that's at, whether it's your controller or your accounting manager, wherever it is, and challenge them with the question, what do we've got to do to improve the way we do things here in terms of how quickly we close our books, the kind of data we're having, and how our whole team can be more efficient? And put that challenge out to them and say, what can we do? And what is it going to take over the next year to get there? And let them know that that's your expectation and then work with them and your team to help get to 
ways that you could make that better, whether it's on the talent side, it's on the technology side, but if you keep investing in that finance and accounting team, I, I'm pretty sure you're going to get and reap benefits out of it. Okay, Dominic Binsavinga, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, one of the principals at A-Team in New York City, helping with fractional CFO services, as well as systems analysis, and then also helping staff uh, teams within companies. Dominic, thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure, Keith. Pleasure to be here with you. Okay. Thank you, everyone, for listening in. Thank you for listening to the podcast today. If you'd like to hear more from our premium coaches, faculty thought leaders, and guest speakers, subscribe to our channel on iTunes or Spotify. Your feedback is very important to us, so please leave us a review. See you next time, and remember, making a difference together, that's Gravitas Impact.